Something big happened this week for the millions of people in this country who owe money in student loans. This is historic. There has been nothing like this on this magnitude of education debt cancellation on record. That's Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, national higher education reporter for The Post. And she's talking about President Biden's announcement this week. The Department of Education will forgive $10,000 in a person's outstanding federal student loans and up to $20,000 for those people who received needs-based Pell Grants. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic, making under $125,000 a year. Regardless of where you fall on whether it should have happened, whether more could have happened, this is still a fairly historic moment for not only this administration, but for our country in terms of how we're looking at consumer debt and the burden it has on the economy. And yet, as Danielle notes, there are people who are divided on this, wondering whether canceling hundreds of billions of dollars of debt like this goes too far or not far enough. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, August 25th. Today, I talk with Danielle about the ins and outs of student loan forgiveness. How exactly is this going to work? What does this mean for the economy and people's lives? I started out by asking Danielle, who is actually going to benefit from this? So this is pretty broad eligibility here. We're talking parents, we're talking graduate students, undergraduate students, anyone with those direct loans, anyone with parent loans, grad loans, all of that. So roughly about 43 million of the 45 million people who have federal student loans will be eligible for this relief. And how much relief is there? Can you break down the numbers here? How much relief is going to be expected for each person? Sure. So for the broadest category of people, it starts off at $10,000, right? And now if you are one of those people who during your undergraduate years received what is known as a Pell Grant. Now this is a form of federal financial aid for people whose families typically make under $60,000 a year. If you ever received a Pell Grant in any of those four years, you're eligible for an additional 10000 so for a total of 20000 Now, of the pool of people who have federal loans, 60% of them had Pell Grants at some point mm. in their college career. So the vast majority of folks are getting this $20,000 worth of loan forgiveness, which was very unexpected. And you mentioned income eligibility here on Pell Grants. In general, are there other income eligibility requirements here? Um, for the student loan forgiveness? Yes. Key to this plan is that for individuals, you have to be making $125,000 or less. And this was in um, the 2021 or 2022 tax year. And this is your adjusted gross income. And for couples who are married filing jointly, you'd have to be making $250,000 or less. The amounts that the White House is proposing 
uh, or planning to do, would really wipe out the debt completely for about 20 million borrowers and cut in half for very many more. A lot of the distribution of the relief, I think, goes to people who typically earn $75,000 or less. I think they said about 90% of the relief is going to them. So this is a pretty significant amount of forgiveness. I mean, keep in mind, this is not what many people were calling for, particularly more liberal parts of the Democratic Party had wanted 50000 hmm. in forgiveness. And the president had never said that he would, was willing to do that. 10000 was his hard number. So the additional 10000 for Pell recipients was a bit surprising. And so if you are a student coming from a household where they're making $60,000 or less, very often that's first-generation college students. That's a lot of racial minorities, that a mm -hmm. lot of low-income students who are attending community colleges, uh, seeking trades. A lot of blue-collar workers and such would fall into that category. So I think he was able to accomplish a political goal in a way that felt comfortable. Yeah, I'm interested in the timing of this. Um, before I get to that, I, I did want to know how the loan cancellation is expected to be distributed. Is is it like borrowers will receive a check in the mail? That That's not what's going to happen, oh, no, right? No, no, no. It's not, it's not like a, a <laughs> refund. I, man, I've received so many questions about that in particular. But no, um, it is essentially uh, like if you took a loan at a bank and the loan said, I'm, give, I'm forgiving 10000 of that loan, you will just see a balance that is 10000 less than what you owed. That is all that is. It is not money coming back to individual people. As far as applying for it, now the Department of Education has some of the income data on many borrows, but not all. So it's not going to be as seamless as many people had hoped. So about like 8 million people will likely have automatic loan forgiveness, meaning they don't have to submit any form attesting mm. to what their income is. But the rest of the 30 some odd million people will actually have to submit a form, which the Department of Education said should be out in the coming weeks. Okay. More forms to fill. Yay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm also curious, just stepping back really quickly, what percentage of American adults actually have student loan debt? So around like 13 or 14 percent of hmm. uh, American adults have student loans, because you have to keep in mind that there are only about... 20 or so percent of American adults who have bachelor degrees uh, above the age of 25. So it's a fairly small population, but it is also a population that spends a lot of money, that mm -hmm. contributes quite a bit to the economy. And that was one of the arguments that many proponents of this policy had been making all along, the economic benefit of lifting some of the debt burden off of this population. Yeah. And what does this student loan debt look like for the average American who has it? So on average, most people have roughly like 25 or so thousand dollars. It's the borrowers you tend to hear the most, especially on Twitter, uh, are the ones who have six figures. And that's only 8% of the portfolio. And those tend to be folks who have professional degrees and uh, who also have law degrees and who are doctors and such. But they are kind of the outliers. They're not representative of the majority of the portfolio. It's an interesting mix. You know, there was a lot of discussion about high income earners and how they shouldn't be getting a lot of the benefit. But the portfolio is a lot more diverse than that. There are people who 
went to college for a year, dropped out, and as a result, still have the debt. There are people who went to trade schools. There are people who went to career colleges. There are like beauty schools and such. There are low-income people, middle-income people. And as much of the discussion really focused in on these high-income people, a lot of the data has shown that really wealthy people are not using the federal student loan system to pay for their children's education. If they are going to do lending, they'll do home equity lines and such, but not usually the federal system. So when Biden said that he was really trying to address the needs of low and middle income people, the data seems to back him up in terms of who is borrowing for college through the federal government. Yeah, and Danielle, I know you've brought your reporting here before about the ripple effects of carrying this kind of debt on the trajectory of people's lives and and then also just the inequities and how it plays out when we are looking at different demographic groups. Is there anything else to say about what this move by the Biden administration can do to alleviate um, racial inequities, for instance? So while this amount was not necessarily what groups like the NAACP and even probably the Congressional Black Caucus had asked for, they really wanted 50, and in part to try to capture uh, the grad debt. This move still does a lot to help Black borrowers who are shouldering the majority of the debt, particularly Black women, in part because of labor market discrimination. Many Black women feel they have to pursue advanced degrees in order to be competitive with uh, white counterparts who only have bachelors. That is a common story, and a lot of the research does back that up. And by targeting Pell Grants, you actually get at the racial minority Mm. aspect. You know, Pell Grants are readily used by many racial minorities who are attending schools. If you look at historically Black colleges, for instance, their population of Pell-eligible students is anywhere from 60% to 90% of their student population. Whereas a comparative, like say private, predominantly white institution, you might see 15% of the population relying on Pell. So if that, to to help you get a sense of how important that grant is for for lots of folks who are low resource or historically under-resourced because of racial wealth inequality. As far as the timing of this, now, I'm not a politics reporter, but certainly there's this thing called the midterms. Uh, oh, I've heard up. of that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I get the sense that this that probably had something to do. But from folks I under, I know at the department, they were telling me that the, the lengthiness of this decision from the campaign promise to now was really trying to figure out the best way to deliver the greatest amount of resources to the neediest people. And all of the legality of what action the president could take was also a part of that. And there was a great effort at the Department of Education, at the Justice Department, and especially at the White House to craft a policy that would show that Biden is most interested in working class folks, in middle class folks, in low income folks, and helping them and giving them as much relief as possible. So that took time. And and I think we're seeing the end result of that effort in how very kind of targeted this particular kind of relief is. I see. So there are many people with student loan debt who really celebrated this news, but not everyone is thrilled. So let's first start with those who think this approach is just a bad idea. Can you walk us through what the arguments are against canceling this debt? 
Sure. So there are a couple. There's one, the fairness aspect, right? So there are lots of people who went to college who did not borrow. Uh, there are a lot of people who went to college who borrowed and repaid their loans. There are a lot of people who simply did not go to college. Their argument has long been, why should I have to foot the bill as a taxpayer for these people who decided to, to borrow? They should pay their obligation. That's not my problem. There's also the argument, and you've seen moderate Democrats, um, particularly moderate uh, Democratic economists like Larry Summers and Jason Furman come out and say this forgiveness would undermine the win that Biden recently had with the Inflation Reduction Act. As Obama's Treasury Secretary Larry Summers points out, quote, student loan debt relief is spending that raises demand and increases inflation. It consumes resources that could be better used helping those who did not, for whatever reason, have the chance to attend college. It will also tend to be inflationary by raising tuitions. It's going to grow inflation, add to the deficit. This is not the most economically sound way to um, promote fiscal policy. And then also, you know, there are a lot of folks who are saying, well, this is a one-stop, uh, one-time kind of deal. It does nothing to address college affordability, rising tuition, lack of state investment, any of the things that we know are the reason why people have had to borrow in the first place. So that's generally the argument that we've seen um, from folks who are against this. It's interesting because it, it runs the, the political spectrum. It's not just Republicans who think that it's a bad idea. Hmm. There are lots of Democrats um, who are not as thrilled with this particular policy. But there are also lots of folks uh, who are very happy to see this burden of debt lifted from the shoulders of millions of Americans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen and heard the unfairness element Um you know, with this approach. And has Biden said anything about that criticism in particular that, you know, two people who either didn't go to college or did go to college and paid off their debts, that that other people get their loans forgiven? So I think the president made a pretty robust defense of his policy in announcing it yesterday, essentially saying that his administration has done a lot for Americans and to, to help the American middle class since coming into to power and coming into office. And in some of those policies, not everybody got to benefit, but it was still good for the overall. There was still uh, the benefit for the overall good, for the overall societal good, right? And his other argument, which was, was interesting to, to make, is that where was all this anger when Republicans were passing a $2 trillion tax break that primarily helped the wealthy wealthiest in this nation as well as corporations? Biden's argument is the we've done a lot through inflation reduction. We've done a lot through the infrastructure bill. The American Recovery Bill has provided a lot of benefits to middle-class families, to lots of Americans who did not go to college. As a country, we have to care about our society as a whole. And that doesn't mean that we're all going to benefit from every program that is has a broader economic good, that has a broader social good. Um, and I think it's interesting because I've seen that argument mirrored by people who did go to college and pay off their loans. And right. many who have said, look, I don't benefit from TANF or, you know, uh, child care insurance or lots or public schools. I don't have kids, but I'm willing to pay into the system if it's it's going to help everybody else. Right. 
And and yet, I've also seen a lot of criticisms from people who say this move doesn't go far enough at all. I know you mentioned that there was the desire to have it be higher, like $50,000. But, I, you know, I know some people whose interest will be barely covered by this amount of forgiveness. Can you walk through what do people who want more, what do they want to see happen? And do you think that's even possible? Well, I certainly think that the fight for more is not going to end. I don't get an indication that the White House is willing to take up this issue again to offer another uh, kind of student loan cancellation policy. There has been all along concern that by doing it the one time, you create the perception that it might happen again, and that might encourage people to borrow more with the belief that, oh, well, there'll there'll be another one of these cancellation um, events in, in my future. And I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. I think activists are going to continue to fight for more. I don't necessarily believe there's political appetite or will to, to get that done. The best path at this stage would be Congress. There's only so much the the Department of Education can do. You really need Congress to act. And my fear is conversations around financial aid has become super polarized and super politicized. And because of that, it might be difficult to get a lot of bipartisan support on um, ways that could really help the majority of people really get through school without having tremendous amount of debt. Yeah, we, we've mentioned the midterms and political will to do more. What does polling indicate about where voters stand on this issue, especially since the majority of Americans don't have bachelor's degrees? I mean, I have seen polling that shows that 50 percent of Americans are for some form of student debt cancellation, even those who did not go to college. I've also seen some polling that says more people are in favor of this. Uh, so I, I get the sense that a, a lot of Americans understand uh, how detrimental student debt can be uh, to families. I, I don't know if that's enough for us to see this as a primary policy that people will vote on, right? So when I talk to even borrowers about whether or not debt forgiveness is the primary thing that's going to drive them, bring them out into the polls for in November, many of them were saying abortion. So I don't, I don't get the sense that this is the thing folks are going to, that are going to make or break Democrats at this stage, but it could help on the margins. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's really notable, actually, that the polling you're seeing 50% or in some cases even more are supportive of some sort of debt cancellation or forgiveness, even though a lot of those people don't even have bachelor's degrees. I mean, I guess, Danielle, that just sort of, to me, gets at this idea of the unfairness thing that yet there are also people who this issue doesn't touch them directly, but they still think it's important. Yeah. I mean, I again, I really do think that there's a lot within our social safety nets and, and all those things that don't necessarily benefit everybody, but many Americans could still see the value in having it. I don't know if this necessarily rises to the level of like a TANF or, or you know, or food stamps or anything like that. But but certainly there are people who don't benefit from those programs who are happy to pay into them for the sake of helping uh, another human being. And And I have seen that argument brought up quite a bit um, in folks who are saying, no, I don't have debt or no, I, I don't have debt anymore. I'm OK if you get $10,000 in forgiveness. 
After the break, we talk about the impacts this could all have for the wider economy and what that means for you. We'll be right back. Let's talk about the economy and the impact on the economy. The president is also extending the pause on federal student loan payments through the end of the year. And, you know, that was something that was first implemented under the Trump administration in that earlier phase of the pandemic. Danielle, what do we know about the impact that moratorium has had on borrowers and the economy? Well, I've spoken to a lot of borrowers over the last two years trying to get a sense of how not having these payments has affected their lives. And it's, I mean, it's been tremendous. For Before housing prices skyrocketed and were just completely untenable, there are a lot of people I know who were able to save towards a down payment and purchase homes. There are a lot of people I know who had opened a savings account for the first time since they graduated college. There are a lot of people I spoke with who were able just to catch up on other bills. And I, I think that's that's re- pretty remarkable. Um, you know, there there has been a fair amount of of anger among some borrowers about the constant last minute extensions, because for some people, they're really trying to budget and plan their financial lives. And it, this last time, we were seven days before payments were supposed to restart oh, wow. um, before this announcement. That is by far the, the latest time that we've seen a, a, the administration make an announcement on, a, on an extension. But still, you know, the average Student loan, uh, monthly student loan payment is around $300, $400 for many people. That's not a small bill to add back into a family's budget. Mm-hmm. And for folks who were trying to plan accordingly, it, it became a bit frustrating. But at least now they'll have to the end of the year uh, to get a better sense. Uh, you know, I, I want to say this is the last extension, but the department said that for the last three extensions. So oh, well. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Patterns. <laughs> yes. You know, and then stepping back and thinking about the economy more broadly, I think one of the big questions about the cancellation is what impact this will have on the broader economy. Like, if billions of dollars in debt are eliminated, does that cost have to be made up somewhere? Like, who pays for that? I mean, the the money goes uncollected, essentially, right? So, you know, the federal government is is budgeting that it's going to get back the money it lent out. Well, it's not in this case, going to get back, say, 300 or so billion dollars over the course of 10 years, I think it was the estimate I I saw. Um, So it's going uncollected. What that means in terms of, I don't think that's going to mean that the average taxpayer is going to see an increase in their costs or prices, uh, to my understanding. But there are a lot of loans that go uncollected. Um, The Government certainly can garnish your wages, uh, seize your tax refund and all that. But it's still not enough to pay back the amount that's owed. So there's millions of dollars, if not billions, that go uncollected every year. This adds to that tally. I've also seen the argument that in some ways this could help the economy because, as you mentioned, people with some of these loans, they're high spenders and, you know, there's rising consumer prices. And if their loans are forgiven, then presumably they would also be spending some of this money into the economy. Um But, you know, I also know for many households, it's not the loan itself that's difficult to deal with, but the astronomical interest that keeps them from even paying off their debt. Danielle, has there been any discussion about eliminating the interest? 
So there is a proposed rule to try to limit what's known as interest capitalization. Now, this isn't, you know, interest will still accrue on people's loans, but this um, proposed rule would pretty much try to prevent those sorts of incidents where, let's say, you move from one repayment program to another and the interest uh, that you've accumulated gets tacked on to the principal. And so then you're paying interest on interest. And the administration is trying to address that with a rule that is set to take effect, I think, next summer. Uh, As far as accrued interest, there hasn't been much uh, discussion on that front, or at least in terms of any solutions there. But yeah, you're right. It's it's the interest that makes it really difficult for a lot of folks. And I know people who have refinanced their loans into the private market to get lower interest rates. Unfortunately, for some of those folks, they are going to miss out on this debt cancellation mm. because they took themselves out of the federal program. Yeah. I'm also thinking about the cost of college in general, which it seems to be the underlying issue here. And Is that something the White House can control, the cost of college? And if so, what have they proposed in terms of making college more affordable? There are a few things. I mean, certainly at the state level, state appropriations are not what they were pre-Great Recession 2008 and such. They are starting to climb back up. The American Recovery Act and all of the rounds of COVID relief funding that Congress granted really helped uh, a lot of states to appropriate more money to their public institutions. And as a result, you saw kind of tuition being held down for a couple of years. We're starting to see tuition creep back up. Uh, and that's concerning for a lot of folks. But I would say keep in mind that a lot of the tuition prices you see are sticker prices. Just like if you go to a car dealership, you're not necessarily paying that amount. And so families are seeing more financial aid coming from states. They're seeing more institutional aid in some instances coming from the schools. And schools themselves, because they are they can't ignore this conversation about debt cancellation and student debt burdens and such, A lot of them are starting to try to find more ways to use their own dollars to provide more grant aid to students to make sure that they don't have to take loans, that they can use their own um, income as well as contributions from the school, work study to avoid taking loans and to get through undergrad at least debt free. Thank you, Danielle, so much for your time. Thank you. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel is the national higher education reporter for The Post. The story was produced by Sharla Freeland. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svernofsky and edited by Rina Flores. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>